here. Appreciate your being here. We appreciate the time of fellowship, too. We do don't want to underestimate that at all. So uh, it is a value time. Uh, but we also have a little bit of business to take care of here, and that is making sure that we are quieting our spirits for God to be able to speak through the power of the Spirit and what's being said, and especially in my case, because I need all the help I can get. So let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, we thank you for this time that you've set aside for us. We thank you for your very presence. We are reminded, uh, once again, where more than two are gathered in your name, you are present. And Lord, we want to honor that time right now. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for the indwelling of the Spirit that gives us wisdom and knowledge, understanding of what's being said. And we thank you for your word and how you speak to us. We pray now for your presence to continue to be manifested in what's spoken and what's said in discussion in the classroom. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Lesson number 14, God Knows Your Name. Now, i got to tell you, um, just for the sake of conversation, this is another one of those discussions about God knowing your name, and we even played during the seminar this year the song, He Knows My Name. And we know that there is nothing but truth that comes with that. And it just so happened that um, Jennifer Rothschild and her study in Missing Pieces actually uh, is using this material as part of this lesson to communicate the fact that God truly does know who you are. And hopefully it eliminates any discussion that you might have or questioning that you have about God's presence being a presence that we experience in all occasions, good, bad, indifferent, he's always present. One of the things that we talked about last week, without going back over the communication that we had in reference to the top of the handout about the email that was sent to Jennifer by the young lady, and it's kind of written in a little bit of a a code or, or a text, And one of the things that's very important for us to remember when we are communicating with people of different generations, because you are going to communicate with people from different generations, is making sure that you do not jump all over that criticism. You look at the heart of the message and what's being spoken and react accordingly to that. That's the most important thing to take away from here. Um, Me being a wordsmith, making sure that I don't react to see something like that, because when I see it, I do start to itch a little bit and... Uh, break out in highs when I see uh, incorrect sentences or syntax uh, usages that are un- <laughs> that are not done properly um, or run on sentences. Yes, you know. Yeah, who is that author? Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison. If anybody has read any of her books, Toni Morrison writes run-on sentences. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed that or not, but that's her that's her liter- literary style. It blows me away. I can't, I, I try not to get, I try to get past that sometimes, and I can't. But people have different styles of writing. The point is, is that we do not criticize that person because they're not communicating the way you think they should be communicating. You want to generally understand them and develop a relationship with those individuals. So getting past that point, down towards, right after the part where I have the, um, and acronyms about uh, the C-U-Z-I-D-K. Let's start from there because we need to pick up and get into the meat of the lesson here. Do you ever wonder if God knows your name? That's a very pointed question. Because of our frailties, 
in our moments of weakness, in our times of difficulty, we sometimes feel as though we truly are all alone. And that's something that we have to look at and examine. If we accept God's omniscience, we may think it is so broad that he simply knows about us, but doesn't really know us. And understand that knowing about you and knowing you are two different things. That's two different things. You know, most of us know about the mayor of the city of Akron, Daniel Corrigan. We know he's the mayor. But do you have a relationship with Daniel Corrigan? No. So that's two different things, isn't it? We know about him because we've heard about him. We know he was elected to be mayor. We know that that's what his position is. It is the highest office in the city of Akron. That's a very important position to have. But we know about him, but we don't really know him on a personal level. And sometimes we have this way of thinking when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. We know about him. We think he knows about us. But we sometimes think, Lord, I'm going through all kinds of garbage right now. Do you really know who I am? Do you really know what I'm going through? Do you really understand what's happening in my life? I know you're busy with all these other people in the world. You can't possibly be understanding of what I'm going through. I've heard people make jokes before where they say, well, you know, the prayers that I have are so insignificant sometimes. There's much more important stuff going on in the world. And you can make an argument that that's true. But does that mean that God doesn't know exactly who you are? So it's a fair question. But let's even look at how it's portrayed even in Scripture because God knows what we think sometimes before we think it. Amen? He really does. He knows the person, the male or the female, that he created. He knows you better than you know yourself. And that's the truth. He knows you better than you know yourself. Because he's the one that put the DNA in place to make you who you are. You didn't have anything to do with that. That's him. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 8. Let's start with verse 3. Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8. Uh, let's not say chapter. Psalm 8. Psalm number 8. Verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now look at that question. Look at the magnanimous state of where we are in the universe. The universe, based upon our knowledge and understanding, is an ever never-ending scope of sky and space, and there is just no end to it. We have the ability and the capability to look at stars that are hundreds of thousands of light years away. Light years, if you don't know what that is, is the space that light travels over the course of a year. Now multiply that by hundreds of thousands. And if you recall, 
that these light travels at a speed that is almost incalculable, but I think they try to narrow it down to 186,000 miles a second. Is that correct? That sounds right. 186,000 miles a second. So you take that and multiply it by all the different calculations, and when you come up with a light year, that's the amount of time it takes for a light to travel in a year, and then you can multiply that by thousands, and those are the distant stars that we talk about in our universe. Now, with that reasoning and thinking, God is the one who presides over all of this stuff because that's his creation. That's his creation. And yet here we are in a teeny tiny little planet in a relatively teeny tiny solar system, which we know is not the truth, but it is a very, by, by standards of the universe, we're in a teeny tiny solar system on a teeny tiny planet surrounded by eight other planets. And here we are, little specks of dust in comparison to all those things I just talked about. So that's what the psalmist is talking about here. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That's the question. Why would you care about little old me? Why would you be concerned about the affairs of me and what I'm doing? So the psalmist asked that nagging question. We all wonder, what is it? We wonder if God really notices us and knows us. Who are we that he would pay attention and be aware of us? That question can be answered, here you go, with an anthropomorphism. I have that in bold lettering there. Anthropomorphism. What the heck is that? You probably ask. Well, we'll talk about that. An anthropomorphism. Have you ever heard that impressive word before? It doesn't sound like anybody here has heard that word before, so we'll continue. Here's what it means so that you can throw it out and impress your people. Anthropomorphism means ascribing human characteristics to God. And guess what? Ascribing human characteristics to God. In other words, assigning or giving God human characteristics. And guess what? We do this all the time. You probably don't think you do, but you absolutely do. You try to give God human characteristics. It's a way for us, in the way we process information, we try to understand more about God and his character. First of all, it's a very thing, tough thing to describe uh, omniscience. Or omnipotence. These are things, they're character traits that God has, and none of us here are either one of those things. So now we understand with what anthropomorphic feature does Proverbs 15.3 describe God? Well, I guess we'll have to go over to Proverbs 15.3 and look at it. Proverbs 15.3. Now remember, in order for us to have some sort of concept of who God is, now this is not, first of all, let me just understand, let you understand something. This is in no way a bad thing that what you're doing. 
We are always in a constant struggle in this world that we live in to understand stuff that's going on. And the way for us to try to understand it is to process information based upon the, the, uh, based upon the best available information that we have for us. The best available information we have, when we talk about the God who sees, is to ascribe him with the characteristic of having eyes. Because that's what helps us to try to conceptualize. Remember we talked about the God who sees, El Roi? We try to describe him in some western way as a God who sees. So look at what it says in Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Well, we just gave him an anthropomorphic characteristic. We still remember that God is spirit. Amen? We still understand those very things. But in order for us to be able to conceptualize what God is truly doing, we assign him a characteristic that helps us to understand who this God really is. And understand something. This is scripture that's God-breathed, so we're talking about something in a way for us to understand the concept of who he is. So he is doing what? Assigning a human characteristic for us to understand this God who sees. And he sees everything. He sees every nook and cranny. He sees all people, those who are doing good and those who are doing evil. He sees that. And the last 24 hours or so, he's seen a lot of that. So we understand exactly what this is referring to when we're looking at who God is. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, notice that that verse is also the answer to the question about who is this God? Does he really understand who I am and knows who, he, who's, who I really am? Well, the answer is, of course he does. We need to. This is the importance of coming to Sunday school. This is the importance of us having a conversation, discussion about what Scripture is saying to us personally. And we all come with different understandings, but the basic understanding is that we know who Jesus Christ is. But we're all here to do what? Learn more about who he is and have a discussion about that and hopefully address very questions that you may have if you're going through a tough time right now about God's knowledge or presence in what's going on. One of the worst things that sometimes we as believers can experience is when we pray for something from God and we don't get an answer right away. Amen? Amen? When we don't get an answer right away. We know that he hears. We know that he understands. But sometimes there's no response. And now this is an education that we have about understanding that God is not a genie in a magic lamp. An omniscient, omnipotent God is not limited by our limitations of understanding who he is. We have the limitations. He does not. And this is something that needs to be reinforced and taught over and over again 
Because we in our flesh have our moments of weakness. I found that one of the things that I do to help me to get through a really difficult time is I start recalling songs. His name is wonderful and just start singing them. Oh, happy day and just start singing or humming those in my head as a way of a reminder and a reinforcement of God's very presence. You have to quiet your spirit. You have to quiet yourself down. The writer of Proverbs uses God's all-seeing eye to communicate that God knows everything. Everybody agree with that? Does God know everything? Amen. By comparison, we know next to nothing. We're still learning, aren't we? But God is not out there still learning himself. He is the possessor of all knowledge. If anybody, if we're doing anything, we're getting knowledge from him by having conversations and discussions about what scripture is saying and reminders about his goodness, his grace, his kindness, his mercy, all these things we need to keep listening to and hearing because Satan wants to garble the message. Everybody remember the old TV antennas? When when you're watching television and you have the rabbit ears on top of your television set. And sometimes, well, you won't remember that. Oh, she did remember that? Oh, my. You're an old spirit. You saw them. Okay, well, that's good. (laughs) Then we're all on the same page, aren't we? (laughs) So... You know, the TV antenna, you know, sometimes the signal would change. You know, one station may come in really clear. Another station may come in rather poorly. You have to go up there and you have to adjust the antenna to get a clearer signal. You know, when Channel 8 went all digital at one time, and they were talking about, well, get the, make sure you get the TV antenna and all that, they flipped the switch. You couldn't find Channel 8 anywhere on TV. It was, it was ridiculous. I said to myself, what a joke this is. Yeah, sure it is. So... Satan wants to garble any communication that you have with the Lord that gives you any kind of wisdom and understanding. Satan wants us scripturally stupid. Fair enough? He wants us scripturally dumb. He does not want you to get into the Word because he knows the Word is what gives you the ability to process God's wisdom and knowledge through the power of the Spirit. Satan wants to garble your communication with the Lord Jesus Christ. So knowing that and understanding that, he wants you to not think that God is omnipotent, that God is omniscient, that God knows everything. And he uses your difficulties, your hardships, your hard times your relationships, the people that are around you sometimes, to get you off track. Because once you're off track, your fellowship with the Lord is broken. And when your fellowship is broken, you are less likely to pick up a Bible and read it. And when you're less likely to pick up a Bible and read it, your knowledge or wisdom is being hampered. 
So you see where this is going. We need to make sure that we get together. This is part of the lesson we had last, the last few weeks before now. We gather in church for the purposes of getting together and having conversations about how we need to avoid Satan's traps in our life and focus on those very things that keep us looking at the God who truly does know you, who truly does see you, who truly does understand you, who truly knows not just about you, but all about you, and wants you to succeed. Satan wants Christians to fail. Jesus says you already have the victory. Your failure is like, well, I'm running for a touchdown and I just fumbled the ball. Well, you don't need to do that. Assigning God human features simply means using literary devices to help us comprehend God. Where have you heard literary devices from? You use it in what? Prose and poetry. You're using literary devices to understand who God is. And what are Psalms and Proverbs? It's prose and poetry. If you look at what the Psalms are and you look at what you're reading, it's nothing but prose and poetry. The very devices that we use to communicate when it comes to literature. Nothing that you haven't seen or experienced outside of Scripture. Prose and poetry. How did you learn the English language? Remember when they had the, you, if you, all, the, all the classrooms, everybody knows what I'm talking about. ABCs are up on the, on the chalkboard. They're written up in capital and small letters. You have to start somewhere, don't you? have to learn the English language. Well, you see why it's important for people to learn the English language, because if you don't learn the English language, guess what you have a problem with? Reading scripture. Reading anything. Yeah. Reading anything. The most important things that you can learn in school are reading and math. Everything else, it, it hinges on that exactly right. Reading and math. Absolutely the most important things you can learn. So when you hear about kids being put, pushed ahead in school who can barely read at a fourth grade level, that's a problem. They have, they're under the eight ball almost immediately as soon as they get out of school. Reading and math. Go to John 4.24. Even though we have these ways through anthropomorphism to understand who God is, we still need to be accurate as to who he really is. John 4.24. We need to be clear about who he is. Let's start with verse 23, just for context. And it's interesting that this passage, verse 23, kind of sets up where we are today. First of all, as a sidebar comment, don't allow stuff going out in the streets and in the media to distract you from what really needs to be happening. You need to stay focused. 
Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Stay focused on the Lord. Stay focused on his word. Remember, we're in Satan's domain. Satan wants to cause disruption. As long as you stay focused with that, you'll be fine. Verse 23 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He's looking for y'all. He's looking for the true worshipers, the true people who remain faithful, that don't get distracted, that stay focused on who he is and what he's all about. And verse 24 is what I was getting at earlier. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So you can't worship the Lord Jesus Christ or God without the Holy Spirit giving direction. The Spirit must give direction of your worship. Without Him, we are just flesh. And we're tossed to and fro like waves battering up against the sea. My wife, after Hurricane Matthew, you know, we were talking about relocating and going down to near Hilton Head Island, to, to retire, Savannah, Georgia. Well, after Hurricane Matthew, the, the, chain, the plan got changed. And that's okay. Because sometimes you have to see things for what they really are. You know, if you have a 100-year event like Hurricane Matthew, only a Category 1 hurricane, by the way. It never came on shore. But it tore that place up. Tore Hilton Head up. And, and we weren't going to live on Hilton Head Island, but it was close enough where we were looking. Say, well, let's pull back from the coast about a couple hundred miles. So, <laughs> so, so that's our plan. <laughs> but what you need to understand and see here is that we as a people, if we allow ourselves or put ourselves in a place where we're truly not focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, those winds and waves will tear you up and disrupt you and rip up the foundation that you have, which is not next to nothing. A house built on sand is not going to stand. But a house that's built on solid rock can withstand anything. We need to understand that. John 4.24 accurately describes God as spirit. He does not have eyes, arms, or ears in the same way we have eyes, arms, and ears. We just have to have some way of understanding him and assigning characteristics to him that we can relate to really helps. True or false? Does it help us to understand God more by assigning him characteristics? Well, the answer is true. Because what's a spirit? A vapor? What is a spirit? 
Can you put your arms around it? It's like the wind. There's no way that you can accurately describe what a spirit is from a human perspective. There's just no way. You, you don't know. We can, we can imagine that it takes different shapes. It does different things, but we don't have any way of describing that. So we need to have these human characteristics to be able to try to relate to him. And God is permitting that because he's giving it to us in Scripture. His eye is on you, but that's not all. Go over to page two. What anthropomorphic characteristics are given to God indicating God's awareness of you in Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16? So that's obviously a hint to go to Isaiah chapter 49. And let's take a look at that. Oh, look at what verse 14 says. Isaiah 49, look at verse 14 first. Look at what verse 14 says. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. Huh. Guess what? Sometimes that's us. When times are bad or when times are tough, we genuinely feel like the Lord has forgotten us. That's a human characteristic. I wish we could throw it away, but we can't. We can't throw it away because that's who we are. When life sucks sometimes, we don't feel like God is around. Amen? Let's be honest about it. Why is this stuff happening to me? What is going on with my life? Why are these things being allowed to happen? What is happening right now? Let me explain something to you. There are a lot of people... Maybe people you know or in your families that have been really scuffling for not just days or months. They've been scuffling for years. And you may not even know about it. You may not even know about it. And you may not know about it because they're not telling you about it. And so when we're talking about these one-offs, and I'm calling when we have a bad day a one-off. You might have a bad day, and you might bounce back the next day. That's a one-off. That's something where you'll get through that. It's not that big of a deal. But a lot of people don't have one-offs. And notice I'm giving a characteristic to describe something, so what? You can understand it. Everybody knows what a one-off is. Everybody has a bad day every now and then. Maybe a couple of bad days, and things start to bounce back or recover. Some people don't have that. Some people have years of struggling and suffering. So verse 14 for them may be a reality. Because they feel like they're being left alone. So when you're discipling people and counseling people, understand something. Not everyone's going to be like you. They may have their own burdens. They may have their own issues. They may have their own things going on where you have to turn up your sensitivity and make sure that you're listening to them very carefully. 
and not poo-pooing stuff. Just like we talked about, don't poo-poo how somebody writes. Don't poo-poo how somebody feels because of what they've been going through. Now, when you step back from a situation like that and you look at it and analyze it and pray about it, you know, you may find that some of that stuff may be self-inflicted. So what? Doesn't make any difference. It still hurts. Just because it's self-inflicted doesn't mean that you still don't listen and counsel that person to help them to minimize the self-infliction. So verse 14 is a verse that is very realistic. We understand where it comes from. But look at what it says in verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Look at verse 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Now, who is speaking here? God is speaking. Know who's speaking here. First of all, this is something that the ladies can relate to who have given child, uh, had childbirth before. Look at verse 15 again. Can a woman forget her nursing child? No. No. Thank you. Thank you, Ann. Annie. It is in your nature when you are nursing a child that that child is attached to you almost at the hip. And when it's time for feeding, you know it. And you feel it and you experience it and you understand it. It's something that has to be done. Can a woman forget? Now look at the passage very closely here. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Now look what it says. Over time, you are not nursing anymore. Even these may forget, but God is saying, I'll never forget you. Doesn't make any difference. Do you realize that every single person that God has created from the time of Adam all the way through past the flood and all the people that have ever existed in the world up until now and all those who are coming after us, he knows every single one of them. You understand that? You are special because he chose you. He chose you. He chose you to be here. He's never going to forget you. He knows who you are. Behold, verse 16, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He's using a figure of speech about an engraving of who you are on the palm of his hands. Now, we just got through saying God's spirit. So we're assigning a characteristic to him that we can understand. When you engrave something on the palm of your hand, which, by the way, there's a lifeline here that they talk about, right? And when you talk about palms, there's a lifeline involved here that's used from a symbolism standpoint. But he's saying he's engraving you on the palm of his hands. Your walls are continually before me. Everything about you, your presence is always right in front of him. 
A room has theoretically four walls. Every time you're in a room, you see those four walls. You see the walls around you. They're continually before us. That's how he's describing who you are. Your very presence. Isaiah uses the picture of engraving on God's palms because in ancient Eastern culture, this form of tattoo would be a familiar image. Now notice how this is actually referring to something that goes back to a practice back in the day about how people are reminded about who God is. Remember the old phylacteries that that people used to wear? They would put scripture on their heads. And this is a way for them to understand and symbolize the importance of God's word. Now, that wasn't a tattoo, but I'm just giving you an example of what is being represented here. In our current culture, tattoos are a familiar image, too. Butterflies, boyfriends, names, Bible verses, and all sorts of images are tattooed on arms and ankles. Whether or not you agree with the practice, think about it, what it represents. Now, I may have shared this with you guys before, but my daughter, at a relatively young age, right after she got out of, that's about 19, about 19 years old, which, by the way, is, is more than 10 years ago. <laughs> it's almost 15 years ago. She went and got a tattoo. She got a tattoo on her lower back. She got a tattoo of Jeremiah 29:11 on her lower back. Not just the words Jeremiah 29:11, the entire verse of Jeremiah 29:11. Now, I look at my daughter, she's a free spirit and she is some somebody who sometimes I admire because she really is out thinks outside the box. But in this particular case, she got Jeremiah 29:11 on her back. I said, "Didn't that hurt?" She says, "Oh yeah." It was very painful, but she went through with it, and she did it. And she's got this whole verse of Jeremiah 29.11 on her back. Now, I haven't looked at it lately, and I'm not going to look at it. (laughs) But you can imagine that. Can you imagine that? Because what does Jeremiah 29.11 say? Yeah, plans to the entire verse. That whole verse is back there. Now, that's the five-minute bell. So what, what's going to happen here, I'm going to lead up to this, and we're going to have another discussion about this next time. But I want you to understand that a tattoo usually denotes importance and permanence to the one who bears it. So what God is saying when he's talking about writing his name on the palm of your hand in the description, it's a sign of permanence. We're not talking about, you know, getting a tattoo removed or something like that, which is what they try to do today. Or a temporary tattoo, that type of thing, yeah. But this is a sign of permanence. This is a sign saying that you are forever engraved on the palm of God's hand. Why do you think God evoked that picture to communicate knowing us? Why do you think he did that? Pardon me? You're always seeing things. 
My wife has a practice every now and then if she wants to remember something, she'll write something down with a pen on her, on her hand so that she remembers to do something later on. That's a practice she has. Well, that's not permanent. That's very temporary. But yet, this is a temporary statement. Not a temporary statement. This is a permanent statement about how God esteems you. Esteems you. Do you see that? He esteems you in such a way that it's worth it for him to have this representation of who you are, and you look at it, and it's on the palm of his hand. Yes. Say it again. Yes, exactly. He has your prayers in his ear. He knows exactly who you are. He is esteeming you as a person. Why do you think Satan wants to lower your esteem? Why do you think Satan wants you to have poor self-esteem? If you have poor self-esteem, you won't make the connection that God has a high esteem of you. He wants you to think like, Satan wants you to think like you're worthless, you're no good, you're nobody, there's nothing that anybody can do for me, there's no way. That's what Satan wants. He wants to give you a lack of confidence in who you are as a person. But here we're looking at how, how God has highly esteemed you. You are of high esteem. So what does that say to you? When you look at verse 16 in Isaiah 49, what does that say to you? You are important to him. You're important to him. And I like you using the word important. You know why important is a good word for this? It means that you were selected to be here for a reason and a purpose. You're important. You have a reason for being here. None of us are here just to exist. Amen? You have a reason to be here. And it may take you a while to figure out what that reason is, but you should be all up in the word trying to figure that out if you don't know you should be all up in the word because god speaks to you through his word the spirit gives you information if your purpose in life is to just meet and greet people and talk to them and give them encouragement you have a purpose you are highly esteemed because of that purpose All right, that's the second bell. That's a good stopping point. It's a good place for you to think. We'll stop there and pick up with this next week because we have another side lesson associated with this very thing that we'll get into. We'll take care of that next week. But I'm looking forward to having you back because I think we'll have really great discussion with that too. But remember, you're highly esteemed. He knows who you are. He understands you. Amen? Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to sit and just let the Spirit speak. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your loving presence. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for giving us wisdom and knowledge when we seek after you. We pray now, Lord, that you'll just bless us, carry us through, help us to not be distracted by all the things that are going on in the world today. 
but be remind and help us to be reminded that you've told us that these very things would happen. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that understanding. Lord, help us to focus on you. Help us to remain prayerful. Help us to remain, remain prayerful for others as well that we know. For this body, for our pastor, for our assistant pastor and their wives. Thank you, Lord. We now pray and ask all these things. And we also ask that you bless the upcoming message and the speaker. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We will see you next time.